This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hello everyone. You're listening to Brewing Talks, a show where I converse with some of the most creative minds from advertising, brands, communications and businesses. I'm your host Madhulika and I'm also a passionate marketer, podcaster and an entrepreneur in the business of marketing and communication. So when I got into this profession of uh, marketing some years back, uh, two decades back rather, I was into a brand role. I used to be pretty intrigued with this whole world of public relations, PR as they call it in short form. You know, we also have other terms being used called image management, perception management. And I always used to wonder, you know, how do you go about conversing with with media? How do you kind of, you know, help in framing a certain perception for a company, for an individual, for a brand? I mean, it never sounded easy. It's always sounded exciting, but it never sounded easy. I said this really requires a lot of mind work this really requires a lot of effort and you know this is where you know i i really wanted to deep dive into this area of public relations as a as a subject as a as a subset of the entire world of marketing and communication hence in today's episode uh, i'm going to be touch basing and further deep diving on this very 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 important role that pr plays in our industry after all as they say it's all about image and for this i have mr dilip cherian i rather let me put it this way i have the image guru himself who i'm going to converse on the show and mr cherian it is a pleasure to have you on this show welcome to brewing talks thank you very much madhulika it's a pleasure to be here uh well we uh, i think introduction is not required for uh, mr cherian but i'm going to say a few words about him to start and get going with the conversation uh dilip is the co-founder and consulting partner for one of the leading agencies in india called perfect relations dilip started his career as an economic consultant to the ministry of industry he then later on went on to become the editor of business india one of the leading business magazines dilip is also a political advisor and a practicing lobbyist without wasting a minute uh, you know let's brew up a conversation uh, with dilip and uh, with this i'm going to ask you a question dilip on the scene of public relations not today what it was years back i mean how did whole this pr became such an important part of any company any organization what was the beginning you know point to it the beginning point to it i suspect is when um adam and eve <laughs> had an encounter with the apple okay <laughs> okay and i suspect that the art of persuasion or the idea of selling something of hyping it up of insisting that by biting into the apple mm-hmm. you would suddenly see the light of day as it were okay mm-hmm. so creating a perception for a product right creating an image for a service was fundamentally at the very start of being as it were okay so i would say that the business goes back a lo- back a long time and i think public relations used to be in many senses considered a bit of a science, of, of an art and if right. i had played any role in it is in converting the art into a science mm-hmm. the reason madhulika is that understand that 
when it is an art, it really depends on the sense or the sensibility of the user of the receiver. Mm-hmm. But what when I switched from and if I have to take credit for anything, it is for coining and creating the word image management. So when we defined the company, we defined it as perfect relations, the science of image management. Right. The idea was to let people understand that it was not a fuzzy, wuzzy kind of sense of doing anything which helps, but being able to do things which were measurable in terms of its impact and replicable in terms of the process. So two things. Science mm-hmm. requires you to be able to reproduce the same result on multiple occasions. And right. science requires you to be able to measure the impact of anything. So okay. I said right. that rather than treat PR as an art, let us convert PR into a science. And let us give mm-hmm. it a new name, therefore. And it deserves a name which fits into, in the time when we created the company, which was about 30 years ago, mm-hmm. into the realm of management. And that was, in a sense, the, the inflection point, as it were, in the way I like to practice communications and the art of PR and convert it into a science where things can be done, done again with a set of techniques which, which have a measured result and which follow mm-hmm. a process. So okay. that I think is the way I see the journey from mm-hmm. PR to image management. Okay. Okay. So are you saying this is a, a pure, completely a holistic way of looking at things? Yes. Uh, because of the fact that it is no longer about what conventional PR was about, which was about trying to get a story sold to some media person or to a media outfit. Mm-hmm. The idea here is a much more holistic 360 degree approach at the center of which is the end consumer. Mm-hmm. And around it, there are a bunch of things which influences the end consumer's perception of you. The mm-hmm. sign is in being able to say that for this kind of an end consumer, for this kind of a product, we recommend two grams of this, five grams of that, three grams of something else, and that makes a whole 10. Or you might say we require mm-hmm. one gram of this, one gram of that, three grams of this. So it can be a variety of permutation and combination of, of activities, sensory uh, nudges, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. To Mm -hmm. get to the magic figure which creates the appropriate perception in the mind of the end consumer. And who is the end consumer? The end consumer can be defined also in multiple ways. In some case, it is she who buys your washing machine. Mm -hmm. It could be he who buys your shower curtain. Okay. Right. It could be government which 
buys your policy prescription. Mm-hmm. It could be a different company which is willing to partner with you. Mm-hmm. It could be a she who, as a private equity investor, decides to invest in your company. So right. the she's, the he's, the they's, and the it's are different. And mm-hmm. the number of tools are also very different. So it is not possible to have one formula that fits all, but mm-hmm. you need to have a different formula for each task or each target that you set right. for yourself. Right, right. Interesting. Uh, so Dilip, tell me one thing. Okay, so a lot of things have changed over the years, right? So when you talk about today, what do you see how has PR evolved over the years? That's a very big question, Madhulika. But let's I know. <laughs> try, let's try and break this up. Uh-huh. First, let's figure out what has not changed. Mm-hmm. And then we'll figure out what has changed. Mm-hmm. You can ask me that later because I'll forget. Right. So what has not changed is what I call the neuro-linguistic programming within human beings. Mm -hmm. So good equals good, but there's always the existence of better and the existence of bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the impulses which drive a consumer have not changed that much. So it may change from market to market. It may change from demographic to demographic, but essentially there is a perception of the product. There's a perception of the company. There's a perception of the price as compared to other products. There's a perception of convenience of access, of service, of mm-hmm. replacement, of longevity. These are all the perceptions which make up the purchase decision. And it doesn't matter right. whether it's a, a share that you're trying to buy. It doesn't matter whether it's a sheet you're trying to buy for your home. The Mm -hmm. broad parameters remain the same. Now, what can communications do to change that? Communications sets the context for price. It sets the competition in either a comparatively poorer light or in a comparatively Mm -hmm. equal light. If 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 you are the company that is the new entrant, then you want to be seen on par with others who are already there. Okay. So mm-hmm. in some senses, these things haven't changed. They haven't changed because human behavior is mm. largely dictated by a certain finite or maybe even infinite number of triggers mm-hmm. of which five or 10 are the most important at any point in time. Okay. Right. Now, now comes the question of what has changed. What has changed is, for example, the nature of competition, mm-hmm. the nature of regulations around your product. What can you mm-hmm. define as price? The whole concept of MRP, the whole question of GST. Mm. What has changed is the way you consume media. So you no, right. now no longer have to wait for the newspaper in the morning or for mm. news hour in the evening. You are a victim of media at all points of time in the day and night of different kinds right. of media. Right, so right. Those things have changed. And the value, the veracity, and the 
validity of media has changed. What has also mm -hmm. changed is that now you no longer depend only on media. There is your friendly neighborhood mm -hmm. gossip who convinces you about a certain thing. There is right. this new creature called the influencer who apparently mm -hmm. affects what you think. So there are right. a whole bunch of new forces which trigger the, in inverted commas, the buy decision, the love decision, mm -hmm. or the accept mm -hmm. decision, or the want decision. And these decisions have basically in human psychology terms remained the same, but the number of people playing with it have changed, or the number of forces playing with it has changed. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, in if you look at this, and if you look at this entire, let's say if we talk about an example of an organization having a marketing and communication structure to it, and uh, we have a defined marketing role, and we have a defined in today's time we can say we have a defined digital role, and then we have a defined PR and corporate corporate communication role, as they call. So uh, now, when we speak about integrated marketing, wherein we are actually trying to have a a thread and a synergy between you know each of these verticals so there is a common messaging and a streamlining of messaging happening across to different stakeholder uh, how do you see pr shaping up here you know in terms of what role is is pr uh, so pr has mostly been looked at as more into the media relation part of it you know when we think about pr we are essentially talking about media here but pr has much more right we talk about employee relations here we talk about investor relations so pr is broadly a lot so uh, with the marketing and communication getting into a structured area of different verticals under the you know working under the umbrella how do you see this PR role shaping up in today's time? You know, has it really, first of all, has it really changed from what it used to be earlier or is it something now, you know, is it getting a little diluted, you think, Dilip? Diluted, no. Diverse, yes. Mm -hmm. So there are more, you know, there are more elements of the game than used to be there. Mm -hmm. So I would say that it it is probably more complex than it was before. So it's okay. difficult to assign a fixed value to any part of this menu. So mm -hmm. what used to be a starter, a main course, a side dish and a dessert is now all jostling for space to either want to be the main course or mm -hmm. they want to be dessert. So mm -hmm. the 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 landscape has changed because, for example, I'm saying in the old days, it used to be that 90% of your budget went into old-fashioned advertising and 10% mm. went into PR. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now that's no longer the case. There is a digital budget. There is an mm. influencer budget. There's mm. a budget for traditional PR. There's a budget for integrated PR. There's a budget for communications, which is not PR, for example, there's a budget for events, there's a budget for experiential stuff, there's a budget for, you know, we are working with a client, where we are saying that rather than take people to your factory, let's think mm. of a dozen VR headsets with very expensive programming in them, where mm -hmm. a group of 12 can be taken for what used to be called a fan trip, now mm -hmm. sitting in your own office locally mm. so they don't need mm. to go to say a netherlands or a um, or a 
you know, Vietnam, but they can just come to your local office and be transported, as it were, to your factory, and they can walk around wherever they want. So does mm. it cost less? Maybe a little less, but it could even cost more because the the creation of that VR uh, material is sometimes hugely expensive. And it's worth it because what you're doing is you're saving time. You're saving transportation time. You're saving, saving time of the journalists mm. or the media people who are going to go there or of the uh, or of the equity analysts who would actually want to see the plant. But here you have mm. right on their faces. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Right. So, but you mentioned a couple of times, Dilip, about influencers, right? Which is definitely growing in a big way because of the, you know, the growing digital scene. So, but is it, don't you, don't you see influencer based communication or influencer based, I would say, use the word marketing kind of a part of PR in itself, because you're maintaining a relationship with an influencer to get the right content out of him or her, right? Who has a massive following, just like you have a massive readership. So can can we really define influencer based activity as a PR under the PR, uh, you know, uh, vertical or a role as such? Absolutely. I think influencers are people who lend their name and influence. PR Hmm, is about picking and choosing who is the appropriate influencer for your Hmm. product or for the cohort you're trying to reach to. Correct. Secondly, PR is about defining what is the content that the influencer will speak or promote. Mm -hmm. PR is about how will the influencer respond when there are questions from his audience or queries from his audience. PR is about saying, when do you deploy the influencer? Is it a week before Diwali or is it a month before Diwali? PR will decide that does the influencer need to do this thrice in a particular month or twice in a particular week? What is going to be more effective? So it is not right, media right. planning. It is not advertising. It is influencer targeting that is a fine-tuned strategy by the PR agency. And Correct. what the influencer will speak, what she will wear, what she will say and what tone she will use is defined by the PR agency because they Correct. know what is the messaging they want. Correct. Right. Right. No, the, so it's actually very interesting because frankly speaking, uh, there are some who look at it in the way you just mentioned, you just expressed, but uh, currently I think influencer based activities are pretty, you know, loosely held because it's, it's a part of digital. So digital marketers want to take it as, you know, their KPI, uh, but if it's not handled in the appropriate manner and if it is, you know, not uh, taken as a strategic in a strategic approach, it can actually have an adverse effect rather than benefiting your company or brand. So I think it's it's a good understanding for all of us to really take influencer based activity as a core area of, you know, PR to be defined so that there's an enough outcome, uh, positive outcome of the whole exercise of roping in an influencer out of, you know, uh, for your activity or brand as such. I agree so, with you. Totally. Correct. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I move on to this uh, very, very important part of uh, today's episode, uh, today's conversation, uh, Dilip, and it's about crisis management. I mean, uh, your company also, uh, you know, has had uh, several case studies that we can talk about in terms of crisis management. In your experience also, I'm sure you have so much to share with us. But tell me about 
from a perspective of uh, you know how brands have been or rather organizations have been coping with the crisis in one way if we look at certain companies they have done amazingly well when it comes to handling a crisis and coming out as a winner but there are companies who have failed miserably and you know have never had the chance to you know emerge out of uh, different crisis situations so why is why are certain companies or individuals can handle crisis better versus the other i mean what takes to make a crisis management successful good question i would say that um, crisis management is not something that can be dealt with uh, by people who don't have previous experience that's the first thing that okay. if you don't have a crisis manager who has uh, at least handled a dozen crises before then they're not able to do it that's very simple and when mm-hmm. i say this because you know there's the obvious thing that people will say that oh everyone's got to start somewhere rubbish mm-hmm. uh, i think crisis is uh, a bit like i would say open heart surgery the mm-hmm. heart is open at that point of time you don't right. want to you don't want to deal with an intern at that point of time you need someone who's been through school who's been through years of training and mm-hmm. who's been through many more you know years of being an assistant before they are entitled to touch you okay would you want to cite from your own experience dilip any any experience that you faced you know in terms of uh, you know some a major crisis which was very difficult to handle and how with the right mindset and the right strategy it was you know something that came out as a, as a as a better way to you know handle or combat the the damage rather sure madhulika i am not very good at remembering um the crisis because um in the last 30 years we must have handled about mm. anywhere between 50 crises at least okay right. but okay. i do remember okay. i'll i'll give you a few examples and then i'll go a little deeper into one of them so mm-hmm. um the first crisis i remember we were assigned was when there was a oil well which caught fire at bombay high which mm-hmm. used to be the source of india's great petroleum hope at that time okay so these were the mm-hmm. oil wells which were just off the uh, of the bombay coast and you know it was a dramatic fire that happened and ongc had no clue what to do it knew what to do in terms of trying to get you know helicopters who could dump vast quantities of water etc but they realized that the world was trying to see whether india had the capability to do deep sea oil exploration and recovery uh, what was our protocol as a as a as a country as a company in terms of safety the impact on the coastline the impact on the people on on the rig itself etc etc and we were asked to do this because mm-hmm. we had handled what people thought was a bunch of corporate crises just before that and you know a lot of attention okay. had come across to the company and they said oh this is this is a company that knows how to tackle as it were a fire and we were called in and asked whether we could handle it and we said we could not having done that before but then we also had the dubious 
uh, advantage that we knew nobody had done it before. So right. we said, why not? And we put together the the initial concept of a war room. We put in the initial concept of a manual. We put in the concept of the fact that the CEO should be in charge and nobody else, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And mm-hmm. we were blessed that we had somebody like Colonel Wahi, who was an iconic leader of ONGC for about 20 years. And so mm-hmm. he had the same confidence, partially because he was a colonel. So he knew that he would have to lead his troops from the front. And mm-hmm. after the success of that, everybody recognized that there was something different to the way this crisis was handled compared to anything else that government had uh, you know, handled or public sector companies are handled or private sector companies are handled. And thereafter came a whole bunch of things. So fast forward mm-hmm. through 30 years to uh, a year or two ago, and there was a similar crisis where a very large, probably one of the largest apps in the country, began to have a series of episodes on it, which included you know, people wanting to do, in a sense, copycat suicides on it. And mm-hmm. the app got the uh, opprobrium and the mm-hmm. uh, the attention from media, from regulators, etc., that this is an app which is triggering certain kinds of behavior among the young who are talked to it, and that it is a waste of time, it has become addictive, it has become something that uh, people are using for the wrong things, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, when, when the company recognized that this was a crisis brewing, they came to us. Okay. And we, we then recognized that the problem was not so much of the users, not so much about these incidents, but the fact that the platform itself had developed for itself a peculiar mm-hmm. kind of attractiveness to attract stories or commentary of a certain kind. Mm-hmm. So he said, what is happening is that you are trying to be foolishly um, wanting to convince people that you're a platform, you're mm-hmm. merely an enabler, and that people put what they want, and people what they want, and people consume what they want. So he right. said, in the absence of a narrative from you, this crisis of perception and this crisis that you might be banned because you're leading to, you know, teenagers committing suicide, we need to swiftly change this around and make you an engine for a new creative impulse among the young. Mm -hmm. So we said, look, let's not pretend that we are just a flat platform on which anybody can come and do anything. Right. Make ourselves a creative platform which actively encourages, nurtures, and gives incomes to youngsters who have skills which they want to display. And we will Mm -hmm. actually not just be a platform, we will nurture them. So actually we'll own them. And we will then direct that into a revenue earning capability so that Mm -hmm. you become a platform for unleashing a new wave of creativity among India's young. So the idea was that we wanted to do this, create this artificial inflection point 
from being a, a namby pamby carrier of everything nice of course they were doing their promotions but that wasn't central to their theme so we said mm-hmm. let's get away from that and let's make sure that we are seen as a a, a selective nurturer of top quality talent in 18 languages across the country in mm-hmm. a cohort of the young which ranged from 12 to 22 and we said let us unleash a new millennial generation which wants to create and finds this the platform to create and creation equals um creation equals influence equals viewers equals cash and mm. we wanted to do this thing and remove the possibility of the impending crisis of this app being either banned or controlled mm-hmm. or brought under stricter regulations and we found that this worked instantly it worked okay. to such an extent where we had the same police forces which were out to out to arrest the company officials you had actually a very silly situation where police officers started to also want to become performers on this mm-hmm. and you had government saying oh oh we've gone too far here the cops are actually wanting to become performers of dance mm. routines antakshris all kinds of other ludicrous things on this platform because suddenly it became one viable mm. and two highly desirable so it took a little time but the crisis mm. was averted and a new platform was created a new platform in terms of the perception platform changed from being a time pass to something which required actual talent and gave it its due place hmm okay that's that's interesting and amazing to know how this whole thing got handled you know perfectly uh, i'm just very quickly I you like, know i uh, like ca- the word perfectly <laughs> perfect <laughs> relations usually so, does things perfectly Yes I think it just goes with the name absolutely uh, very quickly i'm just coming into this point on uh, the measurement of pr efforts as we call right so uh, i mean while we understand the pr ad value thing you know how we correlate with the ad space and also now when we are talking about digital world we are talking about measuring the public sentiments through uh, different platforms available to us very easy easily which wasn't the case earlier so when it now since we are talking about crisis management whenever we wanted to see the positive impact of a crisis coming from a, from the set audiences what were these parameters that you were uh, you know you believed in or you were using that really made you conclude that this entire project was a success right like we we finally achieved you know combating the damage or you know reducing the damage and you know uh, helping the organization to to be you know to deal with it better the old style measure of trying to do it by ad value etc etc is now as you said largely outdated you are now mm-hmm. in an era of sentiment analysis and outcome analysis so mm-hmm. sentiment is perhaps slightly more complex to measure but outcome analysis is fairly simple how close mm-hmm. were you to being banned and how far okay. are you from being banned now Okay so that is okay. very simple it's objective it can't be okay. argued with and you know what it is sentiment mm-hmm. analysis and numbers etc etc now there are a variety of tools which say that you know mm-hmm. there are so many tweets in your favor the facebook Correct. have been in this uh, this uh, tonality so you can actually uh, 
set a benchmark to the time when you took over to the time, say six months, usually it takes six months to uh, deal with and then handle the aftermath of a crisis. And uh, mm-hmm. in, in six months, how has the needle shifted in your favor? Mm-hmm. And how has government begun to view you? How has the stock market begun to view you? How have global um, competitors begun to recognize you, etc. So it becomes mm-hmm. something that which can be measured. It is difficult. It requires, in fact, spending more money to measure it. But it's no longer something which is about uh, a seat to the pants kind of thing. It's about mm-hmm. actually understanding what has shifted, how far has the, has the needle moved, and how did you, um, you know, how did how did you achieve it in terms of the money and the time spent on it? The second hmm. part, which is the objective part, is have you managed to shift the goalpost? That is, hmm. people were were chucking stones at you at this point of time. Have they started, hmm. you know, raining flowers on you? So that hmm. is hmm. shifting the goalpost, as it were. Okay. Hmm. So there are hmm. there are ways of doing this, and I think that the the smarter companies now recognize that. Uh, end objective analysis is far more important than mm-hmm. just doing any sentiment analysis and then having arguments of rupee and a pie about these things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So the lip, I move on to another very, very crucial part of, uh, you know, important part of our conversation rather. And that's, uh, you have been also, you know, you've been a political advisor and also a practicing reputed lobbyist. Uh, I'm coming to the point of uh, government affair or advocacy, the role of, you know, uh, role of PR and advocacy, basically. So when it comes to political PR, which is highly sensitive, why I say sensitive is that you're you're trying to build a, a favorable perception about someone or, or let's say a political organization or a body, uh, which is, you know, like the nation is looking up to it, right? The, 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 the people, the people are looking up to it. So it's highly sensitive in nature. So how do you create a PR campaign that makes, you know, makes it look believable, credible, of course, to the political audiences? You know, what's, how, where do you, how do you just give me all the insights possible on this, this area? May I break this up into two parts? Okay. Sure, sure. Um, the first part is, the issues management, which sometimes people call lobbying. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the second part is the political PR. So I will deal right. with the more difficult part first, which is political PR. Political mm-hmm. PR for political parties is actually um, a complex exercise. Mm. Why is it complex? Because politicians in, in, uh, inherently believe in their ability to do whatever okay so they think that they are in a sense um you know always right all knowing Mm. omnipotent Mm. omnipresent omniscient etc okay right and it's very difficult to argue with a successful uh politician because he or she has um lots of proof points of why they are successful and they also Mm -hmm. have conviction and belief that what they have done has made them successful what they right. don't often take into account are three things. One, their analysis of their success is too often uh, predicated on their personal personality. Okay, that's one. Mm-hmm. 
The second thing that they think is that the audience is still the same. And the third thing they don't realize is that the methods of communication are no longer what it used to be even 10 years ago. So when we were doing political work for a particular party, for the national elections, uh, they said, why should we do a digital campaign at all? And this is mm-hmm. about, you know, and, and remember, this is about 18 years ago, okay, or more. Okay, okay. And we said, these are the reasons why you should do it. The next time elections, they won the elections. The next time they came mm-hmm. around, they said, oh, we know how to do this. So what is it okay. going to add value? So we uh-huh. said, look, your chaps may have learned this by working with us during the period of the campaign. But mm-hmm. what happened then has changed. And secondly, you got to recognize that there is now a pushback from an opposition, which has also learned the game along with you. Hmm. So Correct. The, the battleground has changed yet again. So it was a huge fight to convince them that they still needed an agency, that they still needed to spend X part of their budget on it. But yes, hmm. they did. And yes, they won. So essentially, hmm. the game changes every couple of years, if it doesn't change every year. And mm-hmm. you need to be able to convince the same bunch of people. I remember on the first mm-hmm. occasion that when we were bar- when we were arguing fees, I was arguing with uh, somebody who was then the finance minister, who who mm-hmm. obviously uh, you know was far smarter than I was, of course, and, in- mm-hmm. and, and immensely more powerful and influential. But it mm-hmm. required training him into thinking about looking at a completely new animal who he had never seen in the forest. Mm, correct. So yes. It was difficult. Okay. Now that's to do with that part of political PR. You know, sometimes you're dealing with one person parties where the final decision making is only one or you're dealing sometimes with a party where a committee decides. And as all of us know, uh, uh, a donkey is a horse which was designed by a committee. So uh, <laughs> the, the fact is that Dealing with committees is probably the most stultifying and okay. actually, honestly, pointless experience there is. Okay, now come, then now let's move to the issues management. Issues mm-hmm. management is about convincing government that what your company is valid, worthwhile, and virtuous. Valid, mm-hmm. worthwhile, and virtuous. So, being able to convince government that you need to invest more in hydrogen energy than you invest in solar energy requires a mind shift. For a country which is blessed with the sun has invested a huge quantity in um, solar, uh, you know, farms, etc., etc. To say, look, solar farms and solar energy makes you vulnerable because a certain bunch of the components are either produced in China or require a raw material from China, which makes you more Mm -hmm. vulnerable. Therefore, you need to move from uh, a pure dependence on solar energy to a partial dependence on solar energy and a new initiative on hydrogen. So if you see in the budget this time, the shift to hydrogen energy has taken about 10 years in the making to actually find its space in the budget. So mm-hmm. uh, for, a, for a bunch of companies who are involved in hydrogen energy, this is a 
issues management thing which requires sustained effort over a period of years to make sure that this becomes policy so that right. is what issues right. management is about okay wonderful interesting insights okay so uh, so also it, i think do you think a shift in the mindset the way you know political parties and politicians are looking at overall pr communication marketing digital put together is it also because of the younger lot getting more into it or is it just it doesn't matter it could be uh, a digital migrant or it could be a digital native as long as the thinking is towards you know becoming more looking more progressive how you want to position a political party let's say you know so Uh, do you think that shift you're, has happened and it's a positive you're going, shift? You're, you're going back to the first part of it. Okay, sure. Um, I would say that uh, as far as needing to convince a politician about the need for a certain kind of approach is now easier because most politicians have gen next children or hmm. next gen colleagues who understand how the world is changing. so mm. it is no longer now about convincing one person it may be convincing his son or his grandson or her son or her grandson or her granddaughter and saying that look uh, for example i'm just using an example that mm. you would never have had the kind of approach towards the environment that the shiv sena has had it not been for the fact that aditya thakre is there along with his father who is an avid environmentalist himself okay so when the power of two means that there will be much greater receptivity for a new idea and a new right. issue similarly about digital it's the same thing mm. great great and that's good news for sure quick question uh, dilip on so you've been you've also founded the perfect relations center for image management uh, image management science which is about research and training institute to mentor train you know the young talent uh, so at times we've seen that you know uh, while you know media and the pr professional they are working together to make things happen right so we but sometimes we've seen you know media not talking not so good things about pr professional you know they don't have a sense of when to call basic things like you know these uh, you know there's a lack of professionalism where do you think there is a gap here is there a gap in uh, the right set of information and education being imparted to to the upcoming you know students and upcoming professionals or what how can we combat this how can we make this better for a for a better relationship uh, you know between the media and the uh, the pr industry madhulika honestly i think that while it is necessary to do that i have now figured out that the forces of time are against us hmm what i mean is that it is no longer now an issue of media critiquing pr pr critiquing media uh, or politicians critiquing media or media critiquing politi- politics mm-hmm. uh, there is a general and very sad drop in quality all around so what you're dealing with now is much higher levels of poor quality and a uh, fewer levels of insanely higher quality so the average may well be only marginally lower but mm-hmm. now you're dealing with some extremely sharp and highly intelligent individuals and dealing with a much larger mass of people who simply have 
neither the appreciation nor the training nor the uh, toolkit as it were to use a badly used word mm-hmm. to handle the situations as they change so mm-hmm. we are now in a situation where it is very easy for a bunch of very smart people to be able to trigger a paradigm shift because the larger mass of people are of poorer quality so this applies mm-hmm. whether a pr agency trains its people how to deal with the media what time to call why not to call three times in the day etc etc so mm-hmm. you will always have in the future the situation of a few companies which try and do things right and a much larger company a uh, much larger number of companies who do it wrong and as a result mm-hmm. the quality of the professional will get pulled down but those who are very good will survive and thrive right right absolutely absolutely uh, so okay so i think uh, with this whole growth of digital media uh, and you know uh, as we see mindsets are changing consumers are evolving uh, we definitely can you know conclude to say that you know there's there's pr definitely rules even today and it's going to grow from here on uh, when we also see different set of guideline with AS, ASCIs releasing out you know to demarcate between a paid and a non paid content that we see either on social media or in print you know uh, i think overcoming these challenges and putting in the right sort of strategy with the right set of mindset is what is going to make all the difference uh, you know for time to come and this is how it's going to benefit the organization the brands and the society amazing to have you on the show dilip uh, thank you so much for being there and it was great to thank see you. the different areas uh, you know and to understand how pr works appreciate this thank you very much madhulika and all the best thank and i hope that your listeners enjoyed this thank you thank you for tuning in if you have liked this episode do comment your thoughts or dm us on instagram at etlog media do rate us on apple podcast and subscribe to brewing talks on eblog media website or your favorite podcast app like jio saavn gana spotify apple podcast so that you get notified when we come next stay subscribed i shall catch up with you in the next episode till then stay creative stay safe and take care